Hey, Critical Thinkers. Today we're talking to Serena Freedom Bear, a woman who read the book called The Great Reset by Klaus Schwab. Probably heard about the book. Klaus Schwab is the, the guy in the World Economic Forum, the big Dr. Evil sort of dude. Anyways, he wrote this book basically throwing his evil plans to take over the world out in the open. And Serena read the book. She's going to come on the show and talk about donut economics. We also talk about the climate change narrative and food shortages. Serena super smart. I learned a lot from this conversation, so I'm excited to share this with you. Before we jump in, please don't forget, maybe you're hearing about this for the first time. I've got my own social media platform. It's live, it's new, it's in the App Store, and it's a great way you can support the show by joining my community. So go to the App Store, Apple, Google, it's there. Just search my name, Kid Carson. Okay, let's jump into it with Serena Freedom Bear. Finally, nice to meet you. I'm navigating a whole new world with technology, learning TikTok, getting on TikTok. And that's where I saw you was TikTok. I, I literally have never heard of you before. I just saw this woman speaking so passionately. And I'm like, I want to meet this woman. <laughs> what oh. she's saying makes so much sense. And you were saying some things that I didn't fully understand either. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm aware about the, the next thing will be the environment. I know that I can see, you know, Bill Gates buying up the farmland and all those pieces. But there were some other things you mentioned about the caribou. So there are definitely some big blanks that I was hoping you could fill in for me. And also you mentioned this term called donut economics. And I'm like, okay, I need to meet this woman right now. So yeah. can we start yeah. though with your name? Because obviously sure. I, have one of those I need to know the history of it, right? Absolutely. So, so my name is actually Serena Winterburn, but many know me as Serena Freedom Bear, which is the... Um, my nickname has been Serena Bear for a very, very long time. It's also a part of my cultural and spiritual name. I am Cree and Middle Eastern descent. Um, my grandfather was actually one of the signatories to Treaty 8. I'm from uh, Alberta, Treaty 8, Secret Creek, First Nation, but I live here on Vancouver Island. I've been here for five years. I'm a guest on the lands of the Cowichan people, and so I came under freedom bear i guess was born um the beginning of this year when our government said that i was a, a racist and a misogynist when i'm a matriarch i've been initiated as a matriarch to do traditional healing uh using the medicine wheel with women and that is what i what i do and what i did before i came to this this advocacy path and so i went down to victoria when my the government proclaimed that that's who i was to go and see what was happening down there. Um, I then began live streaming it for my friends and family to see so that they, to counteract some of the narratives in the media that were a false representation to who we are and who I am. And so in that, I began narrating to my friends and family and people around me very quickly began saying, you need a platform. Well, I had no idea what that meant. So for me, it meant creating a page on Facebook. And so that's how Freedom Bear was born. How did your friends and family react? Was it a warm welcome? Like, thank you for sharing this information because everyone has a different story and sometimes it's not so pretty. Mm. Unlike many whom I speak to right now and how it was received, everybody around me went very quiet. Mm. Friends, family. I would see some of my aunties and cousins pop in my live stream. Nobody would say anything, but I would get the notification. Um, mm. I would talk to mom on the phone and she would get very quiet. Um, my friends, a lot of them, they just didn't want to, they didn't want to have these difficult conversations. And so everybody just quietly listened and watched. And mm. that is indeed still where we're at and it might be because I'm a little bit of a firecracker and I don't back down sometimes when when <laughs> I hear things that are not true um I'm very as many of us are I'm very morally driven and so for me it's about what is truth and what is right and and what is just and so for me I think a lot of my friends and family kind of knew maybe they didn't want to go up against that um so we've had a lot of respectful dialogue and conversation and a lot of behind the scenes just saying I'm proud of you for what you're doing um I'm I do watch uh some of my 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 auntie I spoke with her the other day and and she said I'm really proud of you my girl and I'm and you know you inspire me and 
through these conversations, also waking up my mom and, and some of my family members to the correlation between our, our history as First Nations people and what is happening today in the world. And so a lot of people went quiet. Mm, yeah, it's unfortunate. Yeah. But um, eventually when everyone wakes up, and we hope that most people do, they're going to need people like you to coddle them a little bit and be like, hey, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, I hold them in empathy because of this because of what they are up against. This is the conditioning. This is the programming. This is um, mass shame campaigns and and the manipulation using the media. And we have been, and this has been going on for much longer than the past two and a half years. So I hold them in empathy. I really do. Before we jump into some of the things that you're really fired up about right now, I notice you're holding. Is that a feather? Eagle feather. Eagle yeah. feather. Can you tell us about that? Sure. This this eagle feather in particular, I was I was gifted when I was in Port Alberni. I was invited to come speak there, and and somebody who had heard me speak a few times came, and they honored me and gifted me with the feather. In my tradition, when we carry a feather, an eagle feather, the eagle is the uh, the messenger between the creator and us, and so it is also the eagle that carries our prayers. And so when you are honored with a eagle feather it means that you are someone who speaks truth and carries truth and in fact when we hold an eagle feather it is about speaking those higher truths so that i do do this and i honor this tradition because of what we've seen with those who are meant to be our leaders and the lies that they spout and the man the manipulation we're also meant to be the voices of the people if we have been put forward as a representative we are meant to represent the voices of the people and as you as we all are very well aware our voices are not being represented and so for me when I carry an eagle feather when I speak it's because I'm saying I want to speak from a higher place I want to speak from a truth not from me and my ego and my conditioning but instead the truths that need to be coming through and spoken at this time and so this is about me being in service and saying this isn't about Serena this is about what needs to be spoken and carried at this time Awesome. Thank you for sharing that with us. You're welcome. That's amazing. Okay, where do you want to start? I'm cracking my knuckles. All I'm right. So, <laughs> well, I, I wouldn't mind to talk a little bit about how I came upon uh, Donut Economics, how this made my radar. So I was actually um, reading The Great Reset by Klaus Schwab, and I was live streaming it as a book club on Facebook on my Freedom, on my Freedom Bear page. And this was a means that it was my first time reading it. I knew I needed to read it. I was very well aware of some of the things in it, but I wanted to read it and discuss it and share it with those who may not have delved into it. And I knew it was a difficult read and a very dry read. And so for those who might have watched, I say... Um, Thank you for holding me in grace. I did it as a dramatic narration and tried to bring as much fun to it as I could. And so one of the, this is where I first heard about donut economics was by Klaus Schwab uh, in the book. And, and so he was referencing it. So I needed to go back and educate myself a little further. What is this donut economics? And this is a simple search on any one of these search engines. You put it in, you will have pages and pages come up. And so donut economics um, was first authored by Kate Raworth. And so this came, I believe the publication came in in 2012. And so this was very quickly backed by the, U the UN so the UN General Assembly and Occupy Movement. And so when I looked at it, the donut economics, and it is called donut economics because of the shape of it. Oh, look at that. As soon as I start talking about the important things, wow. this is what happens. My screen will start blinking. So wow, that yeah. was very trippy. I mean, for most people listen, but for those watching it, as she mentioned, mm -hmm. I better not say it because <laughs> the computer would explode. But yeah, yeah. Your, your screen started to get all like... Uh, That'll happen when I start speaking these big truths, my screen will go, my volume will start glitching. Like it's, it's quite interesting actually. So that that's, that's the work, I guess. So donut economics is named after the shape of the model. And this is very quickly has become the new global standard of, for globalization and the model being used by governments all over the world. So they just had a webinar of the, 
of 50 cities across the world. And one of them was Brussels and the other one was Nanaimo here on Vancouver Island. And so when you go and look, the city councils are already actively adopting this and bringing it in. I actually got to stand at the NDP tent for our um, local representative and ask them what their candidate thought of it. And none of the people at, in the tent knew what donut economics was, except one young gentleman who said, oh, I learned about that in school. This is something that they're learning already and have been learning since 2012. It's already in all the schools. It's already being programmed into everybody. And now I want to talk about it. The diagram itself is called donut economics because of the shape of it. The outer ring is called the ecological ceiling. And here is where you see everything from climate change to the environmental crises. You're seeing things like um, the chemical pollution, nitrogen, fresh water, land conservation, and air pollution. Now, that's the way they label it, but I want to come back and point out a few things going on in the world that fall under that. So that's the outer ring. That's the ecological ceiling. The inner ring of the donut is called the social foundation. And here you're finding things like housing, equity, anti-racism, um, all of these social programs that are in place. That's where you're finding it on that inner ring, okay? So they're saying that as we move forward and everybody's going rah, 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 this sounds amazing. Yes. And you can see there is this push everywhere that it is being adopted currently with our municipalities, with our cities and our city councils. Okay. So I encourage everybody who's listening and watching, go and check what, where your city sit with this, go and see what they're talking about with donut economics. So now I talked about the ecological ceiling and I talked about the, the inner loop, but in between those two is what is called the sweet spot. And here is where we see our social contracts. And what are social contracts? They're what hold together the fabric of society. These are our laws. These are our regulations. These are our policies. Okay. Mm. Now, it is suggested that in order for us to be able to move into this new model of the ecological ceiling and the social foundation that those social contracts need to be rewritten. Do you mind if I jump in a little deeper as to how oh we see these things? <laughs> I'm loving this. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm drawing it. I'm drawing it as you speak. Okay, this perfect. Is great. So when we talk about that ecological ceiling and we see things like we're hearing like, oh, sustainability and all these things that have been the narrative for quite a few years, right? But when we look at this and we go, okay, so let's look at something like chemical pollution. Well, what are they doing in the Miramichi River when they're putting the poisons in the river? We've all seen these videos of them putting them in there and, and uh, indigenous man needing to pull the poisons out of there and being arrested for doing that. We've also seen the chemtrails all across the sky. We know they're aerial spraying the forests here in British Columbia and all over. So when we're looking at things like the chemical pollution, but we're seeing them do things that are counterproductive and actually hypocritical, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't align to what they're saying and showing us. Then we go so further as to talk about the nitrogen. Well, we all know what's going on with our farmers right now and with the fertilizers and with the soils and all of this. We also know about the the carbon calculators that are coming in that will be a part of each and every one of our on our credit cards on our debits they are going to have carbon calculators on this and if you want to read about this you can just go straight to the world economic forums website and read right about it because i'm not this is all factual things that i have looked up and are public domain and public knowledge and so yes. when we look at the carbon calculators, what will happen is they are going to be assessing us on our own carbon footprint. And so then what does that mean? That means that when you go to have a transaction and buy something, if the ingredients made to use that product, that own carbon footprint exceeds your carbon allowance based on your carbon footprint, transactions will be denied. Oh, Are we yes. hearing this? Are we hearing this? And so we, it'll go even further. So we look at things like the air pollution and the land conservation. Okay, let's talk about land conservation for a moment. Let's talk about what Krista Freeland, who sits on the board of trustees for the World Economic Forum, who is our Canadian finance minister. 
Okay. Our previous finance minister, Mark Carney, also sits on the board of trustees for the World Economic Forum, by the way. But I would like to say what she has just been doing. There was a lot of controversy in the media for her being called out in a very aggressive way by a gentleman. But what he was calling out is what is being overlooked. She had, was in Alberta signing over land to the Federal Land Reserve under the guise of protecting the caribou. We are going to see all of this land transferred over under environmental protection. And then we look at the environmental officers who are coming in and we look at the sweeping authority they have. They have the ability without a warrant to go onto the land if the environmental regulations that are also being rewritten and being brought in, if they are in violation of that, they can come on your land without cause, without warrant. They can take pictures, they can stop production, and they can stop operations and shut down equipment. They then are building these facilities, which was leaked, and we all know this is taking place in Manitoba. They have the plans to build these environmental interrogation facilities with interrogation rooms and quiet rooms, and these are massive facilities. So when we look at what is all happening under climate change, this is concerning under that climate change narrative. So yes, they presented in a certain way. But when we look at the policies, regulations and everything that's being put into place, we have to question what is going on here. So that's the ecological ceiling. Oh my God. I'll yes. give you a chance to speak if you want. I get long winded oh, no. and passionate. So, so good. This is better than anything on Netflix. I'm just sitting and I'm watching you. That's <laughs> so good because it's real. And you know what's crazy is that uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, there were some people that were really hip to this, the very, very beginning. And they said, hey, look, listen, it's, it's COVID lockdowns now. And then it's going to be environmental lockdowns. And people are like, what? What are you talking about? But here we are building mm -hmm. these facilities. This is so great because people haven't woken up to this yet. Yes, well, it's sort of different levels of, of awakeness. So this is really this is really important for people to hear. Okay, I'll just let you keep going. That's, okay, well, I'm going to jump into the inner ring now. Let's talk okay. about that social foundation. And so what that social foundation is, is this is where we're looking at equity. And I'm going to say something that is super controversial. And I say, please hear me. As an Indigenous woman, I understand what it means from my ancestry with residential schools, which we should all be very well aware of what took place. These were assimilation. That's what they were for assimilation. That's what it was about. It was about dismantling culture, identity, tradition. It was about removing them from the family. We also saw this in World War II Nazi Germany, right, with, with the uh, gymnasiums. So there we go. It's a repeat of that. And then as we continue to look at this, I understand what it means when my ancestors were dismantled. I understand this, what, where we all do now through history. There was, um, there is this narrative that is fed to us that we are minorities and that we are broken and that we are weak and that the only way for us to have equal opportunity is if Others are dismantled so that we are all on an equal playing field. And I'm sorry, I cannot subscribe to that. And I will say why. Because I believe in equal opportunity. I believe in inclusivity. I am, as I said, I'm an Indigenous woman. I've, I've got a brother who is gay. I've got friends who have transitioned. I am somebody who comes from a background of colorful diversity. And I am inclusive. But I do not believe in selling people the narrative that they are victims and that they are that they have they do not have the capabilities to have equal opportunity. I and I have seen and I have lived the damage of being told that I am a victim and how, what that perpetuates. So I bring this story up personally because I don't want my words to be misconstrued or my narrative. Okay, and so when we're talking about that social foundation, that inner ring, one of the biggest things that this comes in under is equity. We see it all through our schools. We see it on every poster, everywhere you go. It is about equity. Now, like I said, I, I'm going to give an example here of what these types of programmings look like. I was sitting in on a PAC meeting last week. They're bringing in a pilot program 
through SD79, which is, I believe it's $60 million pilot program for one year uh, around food security. Okay. That's another one that we will, we need to discuss because that's part of this inner ring. So with this food security program, when they wanted to get our feedback in the PAC meeting and, but they, they very quickly pigeonholed us that they had three questions and only wanted our feedback on that. And I said, actually, I'd like to hear the criteria to this food initiative that's going to be coming in in the schools. The criteria is that those who will access this are equity deserving groups. Equity deserving groups. Now I remind you an equity deserving group are minorities. So shouldn't all children have access to food security? Who's determining that they are equity deserving? And so this is where I say something that is meant to be inclusive, but yet is exclusive by nature is a red flag to me. And so I called that out. And so this is why I bring this up because this is that inner loop. It is the outer loop is climate change and environment. The inner loop is anti-racism and equity. And these are all amazing and great things to have equal opportunity and anti-racism. I stand for this as an Indigenous woman. I say that again, but I do not stand for the manipulation under these words and how they are contradictive of what they're supposed to stand for and they say they're bringing in. So as I would go forward, I want to bring up then, for example, when we look at things like housing and the social conditions and all of that, because this is the social foundation, but then we look at how in Canada, they're talking about bringing in the exemption to the Illicit uh, Substance Act, the Illicit Drug Substance Act, but we look at British Columbia who said, hey, we'll lead that, and they've already approved it that January this coming January of 2023, they've approved the exemption to be able to carry 2.5 grams, which is a lethal dose of methamphetamine, heroin, crack, fentanyl. These are lethal doses that they are allowing them to, to carry as an exemption, not legalizing it. That's how they get around it. It's an exemption. So uh, let me ask then, what is that going to do to our social foundation? What is that going to do to our crime rate? When we have food shortages, when we have inflation, when we have an economic collapse, which is what we are all living and seeing right now. And if you don't understand what's going on with the food, that's a whole other video on talking to the farmers and talking to what's going on and talking to the land that is being transferred over to these, um, these federal land reserves, which by the way, I forgot to mention, I wanna jump back to that real quick, that, these, that that land, if a farmer, oil and gas or ranchers are on the land that has been uh, designated and transferred over to the federal land reserve, if that land is there, the government can deem that or the environmental officers can deem that as not a fit use for the land and in violation of the environmental regulations, and they can commandeer that land. Let's pay attention to what is happening to our farmers, what is happening to our farmland, not just here in Canada, but all across the world right now. And I have so many people reaching out to me talking about what is going on in Australia, in the Netherlands. This is global, what is taking place. And so I want to come back to that social foundation. So you look at this, this uh, exemption, you look at then you've got people who are coping in an unhealthy way, not to mention that these are lethal doses. What is that going to do? What is this going to do our crime rate? What is this going to do to our homelessness? Yet this is the ring that is supposed to address that. But when you look at what they're actually bringing in, it's counterproductive. It doesn't actually help the social foundation when you sit there and look at it. It's going to, what this will do is this is going to stress it. And this, and then so when you look at what Klaus Schwab wrote about in back to the great reset that I read, he talks about that sweet spot between the two rings, the ecological ceiling and the inner loop of the social foundation. And the sweet spot is between them, okay? That sweet spot is the rewriting of our social contracts. And so what does he refer to? The government's role and authority within our lives that that contract needs to be rewritten. The second one that is addressed is our personal rights balanced with our collective responsibilities. Hmm, where have mm -hmm. we heard this over the past two and a half years? So now we're looking at things like, 
oh, this is in the best interest of society and not in the best interest of your personal rights. And we need to balance it. Therefore, things like, oh, I don't know, medical tyranny, bodily autonomy, right? Losing your job, being able to provide an income for your family, all of these things that are protected are rights. So when we look at global economics and the donut economics, this is what they are going to bring everything in under. And this is what they are currently already bringing everything in under. So I, my, those people who have followed me on the book club, they know I have bell ringers. I literally have a bell that I ding when I would read the book. If we heard anything like um, environment or climate change, that narrative of the environment, I ding the bell because it's conditioned at us over and over. It's propaganda at this point. The second thing, anytime they say that we've got the short end of the stick, we are victims, we are minorities, we are, whether it's your tax bracket, your skin color, your sexual orientation, when they are telling you that you got the short end of the stick and that it's it's trying to empower you to be in this victimhood and to be reliant upon their services. And when you have reliance, you force compliance. And so that mm. is a bell ringer. And the third one, which I hope you guys understood when I was talking about that social foundation and when we see the erosion of this by what they're actually bringing in, when we see people who are dropping dead because they're carrying these uh, lethal doses of drugs with under this exemption, or when we see what this is going to do with the food shortages and with the housing crises and with people who can't work and are currently losing their homes because of this, then we have to go back and we have to ask then with that social foundation and the third bell ringer, which is the failure of governance. They want us to think that it's our idea that these systems are failing us, but they were designed to fail us because when you see what they're actually bringing in, when you see their policies and their regulations and what they are enacting, it is meant to stress it so that it collapses. And then when it collapses, they say, see, see, let us keep you safe by rewriting the, the government's role and authority within your life. See, See, you, we let you try to govern yourselves and make choices. And look, you're all drug addicts and criminals and can't work and the homelessness. And therefore, we can make better decisions for you than you can make for yourself. And the part of society that's asleep is going to say, yes, yes, keep us safe from those people, please. And, and let's rewrite our personal rights and the balance of our societal duties. So you can see how clear, I can see how clear this is of what they are doing and what they're going to bring it in under. And every time I see this narrative played, I see the manipulation around it. I remember seeing this like, uh, you know, a while back with uh, the environmental, you know, kids got a day off school. There was a day in Vancouver a few, a few years ago where all the kids got a day off school to march in this environmental protest, like this, almost like a parade, went all the way through downtown. All the kids got the day off school and I think maybe everyone met somewhere, like maybe at the Vancouver Art Gallery. And I think it was like a Greta Thunberg who was making a special appearance. And she's young and she's like, how dare you? And all that stuff. And the, the kids just loved it because they could relate to her. And then you go online, you see pictures of Greta and Klaus Schwab sitting down and having meetings. And you go, wow, she's a pawn to get the next generation super excited and fired up. You know what they're capitalizing on there, right? It's, it's this thing that when we are youth, as we we hit this point where we're trying to discover who we are, we've been we're under the you know the school rules, our family rules, the government rules, societal rules and expectations, and we go through this rebellious stage. They are already planting the seeds, and they are already conditioning and programming them, and really corralling them, pigeonholing them towards uh, that that they think they are being rebellious. They think they are standing for something just and right and speaking out, but they are just perpetuating the narrative that was planted there. And it is brilliant what they are doing, but it is absolutely perverse what they are doing because yeah. our own youth in their own rebellion don't realize that they're not rebelling. They're just toting the agenda. And so I would love to see this movement of helping our children, our youth, because they are the next generations. We need our youth 
to wake up to what is going on. We need them to see that they are being manipulated. They are being conditioned and they are being programmed to tote this agenda and to move it in that direction. And they think they are being rebellious. They think they are standing for something just, but it is something that is absolutely manipulated, perverse and, and corrupted on every level. And this, I bring up, I spoke about donut economics because one of the things I am doing is as a, as somebody who is a freedom advocate on every level. And I just want to say, for those who may not know me and may not know my content, I want to say, I speak about freedom a little bit differently. I talk about setting ourselves free here in our minds, in our conditioning, in our programming, and here in our hearts because between our woundedness and the divide that has been sown there and how we continually perpetuate it on every level, this is an assault on us. This is conditioning. This is propaganda in every way from the environment to, to our identities, to, to the divide that has been sown there. And this, as I said, this has been going on for much longer than two and a half years. And there are just, there's always going to be the next thing. The next thing, first it was COVID, now it's going to be, I don't know, climate change and food shortages and digital ID and all of these things that yes. you'll be tricked into cheering for. <laughs> it's yep. crazy. I had somebody ask me yesterday on one of my live streams, because I do my, um, on Facebook, I have my Serena Freedom Bear. I do coffee times in the morning on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and I um, live stream and talk about different different things in relation to all of this. And one of them, uh, the comments in there was from somebody from the United States. And they said to me, well, we heard that the mandates are dropped. We heard that, um, you know, all my American friends are saying, oh, no, no, Canada, the, the mandates are dropped. It's done. It's over. And I said, this is, again, a manipulation of the narrative. First off, I said, you need to recognize that they're shape shifting. That's what they're doing. So are the, are the mandates dropped when Bonnie Henry just came out with the, um, the, the health order there and said that they cannot allow health workers to return to work if they are not vaccinated because it, what did she say? It undermines, it undermines the, the, the validity of the vaccines and everything they've done. And so for that, and this affects everybody, not just in the hospitals, this is all the administrative staff. These are the care homes. These are everybody who works in anything like uh, the outreach program. So even addiction services to be out working um, remotely or even out on the street with people with addictions or anything like this, they need to be vaccinated. So when you look at this and, and you say, but the mandates are dropped, uh, again, you can say one thing, but show us the evidence. And if the evidence does not match, I don't know what I'm allowed to say on this show, but that is BS. That is absolutely BS. And we need to think beyond the words they're using and actually look for the evidence and the demonstration of this. We need to critically think all the time, whenever something is said and something is brought in and something is done, does it match? Does it match when they are poisoning the Mirashi River, when they're saying that this is about environmental protection? Does it match when they're aerial spraying so that those who are foraging natural medicines and berries and the animals are eating these plants and, and our morels and our mushrooms and our, you know, all of this, does it match? that this is all about raw, 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 the environment. There's contradictions here in every way. It's, we cannot be so naive to just take words the way they are spoken to us and have that kind of blind trust in anything or anyone. And that includes you and me. And I say that to people all the time. Do not blindly follow me. Do not give me that kind of authority in your life. You must critically think for yourself. And this is part of that degrading and tearing down. I talked about the schools, about how they're about assimilation. They tear us down on every front from the beauty industry to the schools to the all of it. How many times did we say when we were advocating and speaking out, how many times did we hear people say, oh, I didn't know you had a medical degree? No, I don't. But I have critical thinking skills and I have the ability to research and to understand what I am reading and see and to, to look for consistency within it. I have the ability to look at alternate media and to look at alternate science that has come forward and to see who is being censored and what they're speaking about. I have the ability to look at all of the information and to assess it as does everybody else. But we are made to think that we are incapable of making decisions for ourselves, that we are stupid and that we are 
are, are less than others. So we always continually look for somebody else to lead us and make those decisions for us. And that's the biggest mistake any of us do. So it's not enough to know about donut economics. You have to go so far as to say that you will not put that blind trust in anyone ever, because that's why we are in this situation we are today, because for so long, we have laid ourselves on this altar of convenience. And we said, govern us, we're too stupid. We're too lazy. We're, we're insufficient. We, we're not capable of making these decisions. We're not educated enough. We're insecure. We're, we're all of the things that they have conditioned us to believe so that we hand over our power and our authority. And so again, it doesn't matter if it's out there with a politician or in the freedom movement or here in a podcast or a Zoom meeting. It doesn't matter whom it is. You never give that kind of blind compliance to follow someone in that kind of authority. I don't care if their name is Pierre or Trudeau. I don't care. Yeah, it's funny. We've just been conditioned to be so lazy. And <laughs> even the, the mocking, the mocking of uh, do your own research. I remember going uh, uh, trick-or-treating in Halloween like last year. And yes. people had a couple of people had on their front lawns, like a skeleton with like a sign over it that said, I did my own research. And I'm like, oh, my God, it was just unbelievable. And, and the second thing, it's funny that, um, you know, I've been asked a few times, well, don't you believe in science? And I'm like, yeah, I do. That's why I get my information from scientists and not politicians. Exactly. So and, and not only that, when you learn all about this stuff, the next step is to have the courage to speak it like you are. So thank you. Cause you, you share it so well with such passion thank and I, I would love for you to dive into a little, I know this is another whole video, but could you touch a little bit on the food security? Because people are starting to hear rumblings about that. And a lot of people don't have the full picture. Can you drop a couple knowledge bombs for Absolutely. us? Um, many of you don't know this, but I'm actually running um, a campaign right now as a trustee for SD 79 to, for the school board. So I, I'm running for school board here in on the in the Cowichan Valley. And so one of the things I did was I went to the uh, the fall fair that was just last weekend at the exhibition grounds. Well, they had all the farmers there who were doing their demonstrations. And I went down there and I was the only one down there. And the farmers were like, where is everybody? And they told me that last year they had 500 students that the schools brought down. And this year they had 50. And so that for me was very concerning. When we look at things like um, a few years ago, I'm sure if you all recall, they had brought in that you were no longer allowed to have your children help on the farm. They had brought that in as a law. And so when you look at how knowledge and this information is passed down, we're talking about thousands of years of perfecting farming. Thousands of years of knowing how to caretake the soil, how to crop rotate, which crops to plant together, how to harvest when your crop is sick, how to caretake it. We're talking about an industry that we are virtually watching the death of and nobody is paying attention. When you pay attention to what the farmers were saying this past spring and the ranchers, they were ringing the bells. They were saying, first off, that with the inflation and the price of the fuel going up, a lot of them can't afford to put in a full crop. When we look up, you brought up Bill Gates buying up all the viable farmland. This is happening everywhere. And then we're talking about last year, not even this year, but last year, one third of the crops went in. And this year, farmers are saying, I'm only able to do one third of those crops. These are from farmers' mouths. When you ask them and you stand there and talk with them, and I'm not talking about people who are in the freedom movement. That's not who I'm talking about. I'm talking about everyday farmers who are saying this what is happening is scary and nobody seems to be understanding. And so then what, what else is happening here? When I, I brought up about them signing over the land to the federal land reserves, more land under protection, that they can commandeer farmland if it falls in that range under the guise of protecting caribou. So we're looking at what is happening with our farmland. We're looking what are, and then you look at the inflation. Farmers are saying, don't you understand with us? First off, we look at our weather this year. 
how many crops were failed and how many of those crops going to market, right? We look at then them not being able to afford to put in full crops and only one third of the crops going in because of the fuel to run the tractor, et cetera, et cetera. We look at those ranchers who are saying the cost of feed has doubled since last year. So when these animals hit market, do you understand that these crops and these this food is going to skyrocket? Because, and it's the shortages because we have less and less. You have the the inspector, the food inspector who just spoke out, what was it, uh, the September 21st, I believe. It was just, it was just in the past week, spoke out and talked about the shortages with the meat, that the four main ranches that they get meat from here in Canada, that they're backordered. She said, this has never happened before. She's ringing the bell about what is going on and people are not paying attention. You go to your supermarkets. It was actually during COVID, I was paying attention during the mandates that they re uh, designed all the stores and the shelves and they widened the aisles and they look how they refaced everything. Look at how many brands dropped off and uh, you uh, right away you can see, wait a minute, half the food is here and they just redesigned it so we don't notice. Hmm. Right. And, and so I was very aware of this. I've been paying attention to this. I've been listening to the farmers. I've been talking to the farmers. I've got Dutch farmers who have been also speaking about this and talking to me about it. We've got this happening everywhere. When we look at then what's coming in under the climate change narrative, right, and reducing the carbon footprint and how they're moving us away from things like being able to have meat and being able, these are real things and they're already bringing them in with the cricket farms in Ontario, the alternate forms of protein. And everyone goes, yay, 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 yes, better for the environment. But when you take the ability to self-preserve, that means Food sovereignty, the basic ability to self-preserve as a human species, when you take that out of your own hands and you put it in the hands of government officials, that is a dangerous thing. Because with my ancestors, I don't know if you probably can't see, I've got a buffalo skull sitting up on my mantle there. We know what took place. When you eliminate the food source and food sovereignty, you make people reliant on government programs usher in all the food security programs in the schools and everywhere else right now. They're not supporting our farmers. They're not supporting our food sovereignty. They're making us reliant on their government handouts because when we are reliant, they can force compliance. That is a dangerous thing. Mm, yes. And for people that don't get the Buffalo reference, how many, oh. buff how many, how many millions of Buffaloes were, were killed Offhand, I'm I'm trying to think offhand. I don't millions. I don't remember. It was millions, millions. Yeah. There were there were photos of of them piled, and and there is documentation of them saying that that they were purposely eliminating the food source of the indigenous people of the First Nations of the American Indians and Canadian Indians. I don't care what term you want to use. It's it's the point of our ancestors, our First Nation ancestors, when they eliminated our food source, our people were starving. This was their food sovereignty. Then they ushered them into the reserves, corralled them into the reserves. We can equate this to our smart cities coming, right? Which they talk about out of the horse's mouths. This is not conspiracy theory. This is simply opening a book and reading mm. from the horse's mouths, from their own mouths. And so then when we look at this and then they had the Indian agents, we were not allowed our ancestors to leave the reserve without these passes. Usher in now, we can equate that today to our passports, our digital IDs, our carbon footprints, the denial of being able to purchase something because it exceeds our carbon footprint our, with the carbon calculators. You can read about this on the government website of Canada, these things. And so when they eliminated our food source, the buffalo, they made us reliant upon their programs. And that is something that is also happening here. And so one of the things when I was also at the exhibition grounds at this fall fair, I noticed a lot of farmers, small farms um, who were co-ops and coming together and they're signing on up under all of these government programs, these initiatives that are all being ushered out now, guys, pay attention in your own municipalities. And so they are going, yeah, yeah, this is a great thing. We all wanna buy local. We all wanna support local farmers, absolutely. 
but they're all signing up under these co-ops, which means with all these new regulations going to be coming in and that are already coming in, this is regulating our food source. While somebody, a passerby happened to stop and say, hearing what I'm talking about with the, this co-op farmer said, oh, I'm actually going to be running. I've, I've been hired and brought in. We're running a pilot program called Plan H here in the Cowichan Valley. And this pilot program is funded for one year. I don't have my notes right in front of me, but I could look them up because I, I didn't know I was going to be talking about this right now. But off the cuff here, um, this pilot program is funded for one year by the municipality, by um, by Cowich in here, and a few others, CVRD, and sorry, I don't have it right in front of me, but what it will be is they are going to be um, in the research and consultation phase over the year with farmers, with small, these co-op farmers. They're also going to be bringing the, the university students in. The masters of community planning is the way it was referred to um, when spoken to me. And in that, she's going to be, she has one year and then she will submit a briefing for food policy. And I asked her, what is this? And she said, this food policy then will go to the municipality. And in a year and a half to two years time, this will hit our city councils and they will be voting on it. And then when they vote on it, food policy, and this is the regulation of food, of our food systems on every, of every aspect of it. This to me was a red flag. And I looked this woman in the eyes and I said to her, you promised me something right now, woman to woman, person to person. And I was crying as I said this, tears in my eyes. And I said to her, you look me in the eye and you tell me when you submit those briefings, you will take into consideration anything that imposes upon our food sovereignty that will be regulating our food, food sovereignty. She was taken back and confused by my emotion and passion around this. And she said, I promise. I understood in that moment, she did not understand what I was saying and touching on. She was mm. not a, um, a bad person, an evil person. This is somebody who was perfectly conditioned and programmed and she was being utilized fully for this agenda. And I can see that. And this is a dangerous thing that is happening because this is how they are going to be regulating all of our food. And so people need to be paying attention and you need to be a part of that consultation and you need to be asking what is going on in your municipalities, what pilot programs are coming out. The fact that I keep hearing about all these pilot programs by accident just happened to be in the right place at the right time I don't believe in accidents I don't believe in coincidence I believe that I'm meant to hear this and I'm meant to be talking about it and bringing awareness to it so that others can pay attention and start to be a part of these conversations part of the consultation because consultation oh I'm sorry you're getting me I'm all fired up so I hope you don't mind it. if you need to interject please do or I will keep going <laughs> but <laughs> when we look at things like consultation. I sat there and I listened to the superintendent of SD 79 speak about our four-year projections for our school board. And it was all environment, um, climate change and equity, all of it. There was a line about an inch long in this four-year projection that spoke about numeracy and literacy. Okay, so looking at this and, and when I said to her, she kept bringing up in consultation, in consultation. And finally I asked her, I said, what does this consultation look like? And she says to me, well, consultation is when we come to with these plans and these projections, then we come and we tell the family, we inform the families on what we will be bringing in and we, and we get their feedback on it. To me, consultation means something a little different. That to me is a red flag. And we need to relook at what consultation means. Consultation means that we should be a part of the projection building, of what we want in the schools, what we want for food policy, what all of these different regulations are, not being informed of it. That's not consultation. Who's coming up with this? If it's you're not consulting the people, and this is not what the people want, where is this coming from? Because I, I go back to what I spoke about at the very beginning with the eagle feather, right? As leaders and representatives, we are meant to be the voices of the people. So if we are not in consultation with the people, then whose agendas are these? Because this is not what the people are asking for. This is not what the people want. And when you actually go and talk to the people, we are diverse people, diverse backgrounds. But at the core of it, we all have the same values, our children, our families, and our communities.
and everyone I have spoken to in and out of this movement, this freedom movement, that's what I will call it. Those even outside of it, they have the same values and they are saying we are not being consulted. We are not being heard. We are not being a part of what is coming in. And this is being superimposed upon us. I'm going to bring this all back around to who I am as an Indigenous woman and my ancestry. I know what it means to have curriculum and assimilation forced and imposed upon you. My chapan, which means great-grandfather, I said was a signatory of Treaty 8. I have a quote by him asking in the late 1800s, these teachers you mean to bring in, what do they mean to impose upon our children? And now we look at what they are doing, not just in our schools, but all across this nation to all people. They are imposing upon us. And that is not consultation. That is not leadership. That's full power eagle feather right there. <sighs> Man. There is a lot to be said, kid, and there is a lot going on. And this is an assault on every front. And we need to see. I led a ceremony in Victoria on Monday. Okay. I led a ceremony there and I was joined by freedom advocates with their flags. I was joined by land defenders for land back and recognizing the, the traditional lands and, and what is happening there and the manipulation of those narratives. I was joined by forest defenders. I was raised on forest dollars in the logging industry. Okay. I'm not naive to that, but when we are talking about the last of the old growth forest, all of these narratives are interlinked. The manipulation and the tactics they use and the separation and the divide, it's all the same tactics that we have all been seeing and living. And we need to understand that we are all allies and we need to understand that there can no longer be any kind of divide between us. It doesn't matter if it's our sexes. It doesn't matter if it's our religion, our skin color, our geography, the language we speak, our political views, our medical choices. It does not matter. We can no longer afford to be divided because those are the narratives that were sown there to keep us disempowered. And so this is something that affects all people now. And then I will go back to the way I speak about freedom. We need to set ourselves free in the deconditioning of our minds and the programming that is there and the divide that has been sown that we have all been raised on and perpetuated in various forms. Enough is enough. And we need to set ourselves free in our hearts. No more woundedness of the past because we need to recognize that what took place on Indigenous people was just the testing grounds of what is now taking place on all people. Serena Freedom Bear, you are epic. <laughs> I'm grateful for this conversation. I'm excited to share it. And I hope it wakes some people up. It's because an honor. Some people won't uh they won't wake up until they're trying to scan their dig digital ID to buy some steak. And it goes, eh, sorry, you're, you you had steak last week. You're not allowed to steak again for another six months, you know. But you can have the cricket, <laughs> the cricket juice. Yeah. It's funny, I was even um when you were talking about the rearranging of the of the grocery stores to, so that we wouldn't notice um the fewer brands and the fewer uh food on on shelves the last time i was in the states i snuck over the border and back i didn't even use a rive can it was it was awesome Woo. we were there Travel. <laughs> <laughs> i know but one thing that really shocked me was going into a couple different grocery stores and the whole fridge area at the back it looked like it was humongous you know these big mega stores it looked like it was full of food and as i got to the back it was all um, like TV screens on the doors, the glass doors. And it, and it was a video of the food behind the uh, thing. And then you can tell there was like a scanner on the front of the, the door of the, of the fridge, which wasn't activated, but it looked like as if in the future, you'll have to scan your phone to unlock the door. And so I opened up this fridge. It was like, almost like it felt like a bulletproof door and it opened it up and it was like empty inside. There would be maybe one or two items but when you close the door it looked like and i'm like wow this was just uh the That's technology eerie. it was very eerie it was very very eerie and i just thought about that again when you were mentioning the uh the rearranging of 
of grocery stores. I'm curious. I'll have to take a look. I notice. I'm backlogged a little bit on content sharing. I have a lot of videos that I want to put out and there's a lot of great topics. And so you're touching on something when you, when you're touching on that, and we've talked a little bit about the digital ID as well. So if you go and you look in, like, say you go to your Walmart and, and you go to one of those self checkouts, they actually have an icon there that is not yet active and it is a video camera. And so it is to scan you to scan your face uh, and you look at that, go see what I'm talking about because they are there. Um, not only that, I have a friend who is a registered nurse here in um, BC and I'm, I've got so much content that I'm backlogged on getting out right now, but the digital ID is already coming in. They already have our nurses making them sign up for this and they have to actually lean in and scan their faces and do retinal scans in order to be able to do their job and in order for them to be able to access patient history and prescriptions. And they're saying that no, the nurses have to do this because doctors don't have access to this. And so for them to be able to do their job, they have to sign up for this. And my friend is trying to tell everyone, you guys, this is digital ID. This isn't okay to have our retinal scans and all of this so that we can do our job as nurses. They, that date has come and gone for the RNs to be able to, to um, sign up for this. And so my friend is just waiting to be fired now because she wouldn't sign up for it and has been trying to talk about it. Where have we heard whisper of this? Who's talking about this right now besides hearing it from me? Have you heard this? There oh. is so much going on right now all over that people are not aware this is coming in. They're actively bringing it in, in different phases, in different areas. So as to not bring attention and it, it's, it's, I said the word earlier, it's shape-shifting, right? It's like, oh, mandates and oh, this and oh, that, but then they shape-shift and they bring it in in different ways under different um, narratives, under different rhetoric. And, and they are so slick. You got to tip your hat to your enemy sometimes because they are so far ahead. They're like a generation ahead, but that's scary because once we're all accepting digital ID and we'll think, oh, it's, it's not attached to a vaccine. It's not a big deal. And then the hammer drops. And if you don't comply with whatever the next thing is, mm -hmm. they can just shut you off. Well, now you can't, Absolutely. maybe you can't use the internet. Yeah. Or you can't yeah. even order an Uber or that's you can't right. fly or whatever it is. And in Indonesia, I have a friend who's Indonesian and his family is in Indonesia. And he told me already a few months ago that in order for them to go into a store, they need to download this digital ID and to be able to access the store. So you got to do it, right? If you don't have it, you just can't enter the store. He said, Serena, this is already happening in Indonesia. My friends and family are telling me they cannot go to this. How do you buy your groceries? So let's wrap it back around to food sovereignty. How do you buy your food if you can't even go into the store without these apps? We talk about ArriveCan and being able to come back into Canada and how this is a perversion and, and this is invasive, right? And and but yet to be able to even buy food and then the carbon calculators and, and all of these different things under donut economics, this is where it's coming in under. <sighs> okay. Where are we running away to? <laughs> well, that's one of the other initiatives, if I may, that I'm working on is I actually also support uh, farmers across this country um, under food initiatives. And I, I call them, I've dubbed them safe zones. And what this is, is this is farmers who are willing to open their land up to others who would like to work towards food sovereignty, coming together as community grassroots movement and building the infrastructure from greenhouses to hydroponics, to irrigation, to multiple small tiny dwellings so that people can work together to have their food sovereignty. Because we know if you cannot eat, you cannot live. When I say self-preservation, I'm talking about sustaining life, the basic rights that we have to be able to sustain our own life by having our food sovereignty in our own hands. And so, yes, you talk about things like we saw the overreach. Look at you, for example, with your amazing story. Thank you, by the way. I was so proud of you. I followed that. I cried when that took place. So thank you for what you did and speaking out and having that courage. But look at that. Now imagine if we had the digital IDs and, and somebody went against the script that they are being given by the government and the media, and would they be able to purchase food when you're on a digital ID? You mm -hmm. lost your job. 
you could have lost your home. Like, I don't know your story and I, I don't need to know it to that degree. But when we see the, the potential of how serious and dangerous this is, people are not awake to it. Well, then the whole, another whole subject of the social credit score system that's attached to the digital ID. Yes. yes. And uh, I forget what it's called, but I was reading something about uh, they unroll some sort of universal basic income where everyone gets a certain amount of money at the beginning of the month and it's it's blockchain some kind of crypto coin which we know they're making and uh you know if you don't spend it by the end of the month whatever's left over just disappears and resets on the first of the month something like this but then you can never save money you can never get ahead you can never right. transfer wealth to your kids or you can't you know no under the table work because yeah. it's all digital and all tracked so it really does get pretty terrifying but you know what to leave it on a high note with your initiative that you're talking about with farmland and people coming together that's what does give me inspiration is that we are a creative bunch of people you know we are we are a creative species we will find yeah. a way around things and there will be probably yeah. two different tiers it'll be like Absolutely. hey the people wanting this and the people who are like hell no and we will sort of have a, a parallel economy and it'll be the cool kids club. And there are a lot of people who are working towards this. And there were many initiatives from economic initiatives. So banking to food sovereignty, to looking at medical sovereignty. There are so many initiatives all across this nation that are taking place and different groups working towards this. And these are grassroots movements. And not only that, when we look at all the people who have stepped forward and said, I will run for school board because we understand what is going on in these brick and mortar institutions and the assimilation and, and how they are programming and conditioning our children to these agendas. Not only that, we look at our city councils and how many have stepped forward to step into that ring to be able to vote down mandates and food policies and all these things that are coming in. Then we look at our mayors who are also stepping forward, awake and intelligent, capable people. We have the best of the best stepping forward and saying, we see what is going on. We are awake to this. This is nefarious and we will be the change. And that's what we need to do. We need to remember, we are the truth. We are the change. And it has always only ever taken 3% of society throughout history to be the change and bring about great change. So yes, I, I do believe that when we think we are one person, we are one voice, we are one drop of water, but together we are a mighty wave. Mm, yes. Yes. You're awesome. Can we do this again sometime? I would love to. I would love to. Thank you awesome. for having me. It was, it's an honor to meet you. Um, thank you. This, this has been wonderful. So thank you. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. If you have a question or comment about this episode, leave it inside the app. Go to the App Store, Kid Carson, or contact me through kidcarson.com. 